Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. At Scotts Hill, our mission is to join God in His work of transforming lives. One of the ways we join God is by studying and proclaiming His Word. So each week, our podcast features our Sunday morning sermons where one of our pastors explains, illustrates, and applies the Bible to our lives. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So happy that you are here today. Those of you in the Cross Point Center that are joining us, thank you for joining us. Those of you who are joining us in your home, thank you for inviting us there. We want to invite you here. We want to encourage you to come and fellowship with us and worship with us. And if you're a first or second time guest, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor. And uh, we're happy to have you here. And, and I'm sad to say that my team did not win the Super Bowl last week. We have all talked about that. And I've had so many people say, that you can't trust the prayers of Pastor Phil if his own team can't win. I really had no dog in the fight. I really didn't. I just enjoyed the game. For years now, I've been teaching you a number of things, and one of the things I've taught you that's very important about the Christian life is what I call 3D Christian living. And as Christians, we are to live in 3D. Now, when I say we're to live in 3D, we're talking about three specific Ds of the Christian life. And it's very important that we not only understand these, but we also get them in the right order. Those three Ds are doctrine, devotion, and duty. And it's important that as we study and as we learn about Christ, as we learn about our Heavenly Father and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, it's very important that we begin with doctrine. Because sound doctrine always leads to substantive devotion. And substantive devotion always leads to sacrificial duty. And so it's always important for us to pursue doctrine, which leads to a devotion which overflows our lives in duty. Now what happens most of the time, most Christians and most churches do it the opposite way. They'll spend their time focusing on duty. Hey, we just got to serve. We got to do something. We got to be busy. Give me something to do. Now, there's certainly something significant about duty. We need to serve, but we don't need to start there. Or then we'll say, we'll start with duty, and maybe we'll find our way to grow in a deeper relationship with Christ. And then if we ever have time, we'll get around to understanding doctrine. Well, the problem is many times people who start with duty end up burning out in ministry because it's not fueled by the devotion or doctrine. And so it's very important that doctrine fuels my devotion, devotion fuels my duty. And the reason I don't burn out, it is an overflow of my love for Jesus and my understanding of what he wants from me. In other words, you could put it a couple of other ways. There's orthodoxy. And there's orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is looking at the the important theological and doctrinal truths of Scripture. Orthopraxy is putting that into practice. We never learn doctrine just to know it in our heads. We learn doctrine to transfer it to our hearts and our lives as we live the truths of God's Word. We've been studying the book of Romans since last September. And we just finished chapter 11 last week. 
One of the most difficult chapters in all the book of Romans. And after we've completed chapter 11, now we come into chapter 12, and from chapters 12 to 16, it's all about duty. It's all about practical living. He has been pouring into us for the last 11 chapters doctrine. He has taught us the doctrine of God. He's taught us the doctrine of man. He's taught us the doctrine of original sin. We've understood the doctrine of justification by faith. We've understood the doctrine of election. We've understood the doctrine of of salvation. We've understood the doctrine of end things. We have been looking at doctrine nonstop since September. And now when we come to chapter 12, we're getting ready to move into this practical living of the Christian life. And where does he move us to? When he flows straight out of doctrine, the first thing he moves us to is devotion, worship. Because everything that we've learned in our heads, now he wants to work in our hearts, and the result of that would be a love intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he is setting our hearts up for worship. And he's also warning us of the dangers of how the world wants to distract our love for Jesus Christ. So this is how he puts it. If you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 12. If you have your devices, whatever it is that you have, open to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I actually thought I was going to preach all the way to verse 16 today. But there is no way we're getting past verse 2 this morning. So we're going to go take our time, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar passage. Many of you have memorized this through the years But I want us to camp out here and hear what God's word has to say to us as we move from doctrine to devotion. Here's what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Apostle Paul is gonna take us through four specific truths this morning. He's gonna help us to prepare our hearts for this kind of worship that he desires us to enter into. And as we look at these four things, they're very practical. You've heard them before, but I want them to be a reminder to you as we continue to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing he says. He says, if we're gonna move into practical worship of Christ, we are to have the proper motivation. We're to have the proper motivation. What is it that's going to motivate us to deeper worship of God? Well, notice how he puts it in the first part of verse one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. J.B. Phillips has the same translation, but he changes it a little bit. He says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, as an act of intelligent worship to give him your bodies. Now, this is really interesting. He begins by saying, I appeal to you. The word there in the Greek means I beg you. 
He's saying, listen, after everything that I've told you, I am begging you to get to a place of practical, intelligent worship of God. And what is he basing that on? He's basing that on the mercies of God. Basically, he's saying this, because of all of the mercies of God, you should fall on your face and worship him with joy. Because of the incredible mercies of God should drive you to a place of intimacy, should drive you to a place of longing, should drive you to a place where you cannot wait to be in his presence because of his mercies. Now, what Paul is not saying is this. He's not saying that the way to appease God is to do these things, that I do these things and then I'm approved by God. No, He's saying, because you're approved by God already, you should want to do these things. And that's the mark of a believer. And when he talks about the mercies of God, he's talking about all the wonderful things God has done. This is not the first time he said this. In Titus chapter three, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Father appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, because of the mercies of God and all the ways that God has blessed you, you should want to worship him because of his kindness. Now, what did he do? Well, let's kind of just go back through the book of Romans a little bit. We're not gonna go through the whole thing, but let me give you some highlights that we've seen. That because of his kindness, we have grace and unmerited favor. Grace we do not deserve. We have kindness and mercy. Mercy is something we should not receive. Wrath is what we should have received. Justification by faith that we are acquitted before God and we are set free. Peace with God is the overflow of justification. Freedom from God's wrath, no longer under his wrath. Freedom from sin, no longer controlled by sin. We have freedom from condemnation. We will never be condemned by our loving heavenly father. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit who never leaves us. We have a spirit of adoption. He could have forgiven us and set us free, but he's adopted us as his sons and daughters. We have victory and eternal glory that one day all of this will be a reality in eternity. And lastly, there is no separation ever because we will be grafted into the vine of the olive tree and all the promises of God will be fulfilled. These are the things we have. Let me ask you a question. I want to ask you this honestly. When is the last time You've fallen on your face to worship God in tears and in brokenness because of his great mercy? When's the last time you were so overcome by the kindness of God in your life that all you could do is just say thank you? When's the last time we stand and hear and sing together and the words that we're singing are so piercing our hearts that it is as though we're the only person in the presence of God. You see, that's the kind of worship that the Father desires from you and me. 
And I think what happens, we get so caught up and so busy that we just kind of glaze over all of the wonderful blessings that God has. It's kind of like scenery. I lived in Seattle, Washington for over a year. And people told me about Mount Rainier. I didn't believe it existed because it was always cloudy, always rainy in Seattle. And in one day, Mount Rainier was sticking out and I saw it in all of its majesty. And as I looked at it, I couldn't believe it. I was in awe of it. And the next day I saw it again. I was in awe of it. And then the third day I drove right past it. And then after six months, I didn't even pay attention to it anymore. It's like it didn't even exist. And we can become so accustomed to the blessings of God that we can so easily walk past them, can't we? And our hearts can grow cold. And what God wants from us, our Heavenly Father wants us to daily recognize the incredible blessings. And every morning that we wake, we can say, Lord, this is a day that no one else has ever lived in the history of humanity. You have seen it from eternity past, but I'm seeing it now. And today I worship you in the splendor of your holiness. You see, what God wants us to do is be so moved by his mercies that it drives us to lift high his name. So I would encourage you, remind yourself, write a list. Constantly think of the ways that God blesses you all the time and give him praise as a result of that. You see, if we're going to enter into this deep worship, we need the right kind of motivation that's going to drive us there. But Paul not only says the right kind of motivation. He says, if we're going to go into this deeper devotional life of God, we also need to have the right or the proper presentation. We need to present ourselves in a way that is honoring to God. How does Paul say it? Look back at verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or which is your reasonable service, or which is your intelligent worship. In other words, he's saying that there is a certain presentation that we are to make. And when the Apostle Paul breaks this verse down, there are three things that we are to do as we present ourselves every day. So I'm thinking on the mercies of God and stirring my heart to worship him. But he gives us a very clear picture of how to approach him. Let me give you those three things. Number one, we're to present our whole self to God. We're to present our whole self to God. He says, to present your bodies. Now, some people say, okay, I get to present my body. I get to keep my mind. I get to keep my bank account. I get to keep everything else. No, when he says, present your body, he means your whole self. The apostle Paul has imagery of a sacrifice that's going on. And all the Jews reading this know exactly what he's talking about. And all the pagans know what he's talking about. Because they all understand sacrifices and they know how a sacrifice works. When you say that you to present your body, it is everything about yourself. Here's the picture. If you've been reading um, in our daily Bible reading as a church, we're going through you version, the Bible in a year, you should be in Leviticus. How many of you are in Leviticus? And every single day, what are you reading? Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. The picture is a sin sacrifice. And here's what happens. A person would bring this innocent lamb 
and they would go before the priest. They would lay their hand on the head of the lamb, which would symbolize their sin is being passed to the lamb. And then that lamb's throat in the presence of that person would be slit and all the blood of the lamb would come out and they would take that blood and they would throw it on the corners of the altar. Then they would take that lamb and they would put that lamb on the altar. Then they would consume the lamb with fire and the entire lamb would be sacrificed. Now, if Peter saw us doing something like this today, then you would never hear the end of it. But what's happening is the entire thing is consumed. And here's the picture. The picture is this. When we present our bodies to God, we give him everything. We give him not only our bodies, not only our talents, not only our strengths, but we give him our ambitions. We give him our goals. We give him our fears. We give him our troubles. We give him our difficulties. We give everything to him. And we are to bring every single thing before him and he gets all of me. The sacrifice is a picture that there's nothing held back. Everything belongs to him. And so it is an absolute surrender of everything. Here's the second thing it means. We are to present our whole self daily to God. It's interesting. He says it's a living sacrifice which is kind of a strange way of putting it. It's living. Most sacrifices, as we saw, were killed, then put on the altar, dead. But the picture he has here is, no, this sacrifice stays alive. And this sacrifice is constantly, every single day, sacrificing itself to God. Now, the problem with the living sacrifice, and you've heard this before, the problem with the living sacrifice is it always wants to crawl off the altar. It always does. And you know what I'm talking about because some of you have made commitments to God in the past and yet you've kind of crawled off the altar of that commitment. You've kind of walked away from that. But here's the reminder of this. Not only do you give your whole self to Jesus, but you do it every single day. When you wake up, you are a living sacrifice and today you freshly give everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the third part of it. We are to present holy and acceptable sacrifices. Now, what does that mean? Holy and acceptable sacrifices? There were right sacrifices to present before God. We can see that Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. And Abel brought the best of his herd. Cain just grabbed some of the produce of the ground. That's all it says. And God received Abel's sacrifice. And so what we see that there is an acceptable sacrifice. This word acceptable in the Greek literally means the smell, the sweet aroma of a burnt offering. You find it all through the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament that it was a sweet aroma before the throne. It is something that you give of your very best. Let me tell you what you don't bring before God. You don't bring before God roadkill. You don't bring before God leftovers. How many of you have ever been invited to someone's home as a special guest and you got there and you got yesterday's broccoli? That is not appealing. Or worse than that, Brussels sprouts. They stink the whole house up. 
I hate Brussels sprouts, and my wife cooks them when I'm gone, but I always come in at the end of the day and smell them. So anyway, what, what happens is we're not to bring leftovers. We're to bring our very best, the very best of what we have that we present to God. And this is a, a worship of him. And, and not only that, it's holy, which means it's set apart. It means it belongs to him. And when we see ourselves coming like this, that as we're stirred by the mercies of God, and now we're coming in to worship him, and we bring our whole self daily and the very best that we have to worship him, it is a pleasing aroma before God. But let me tell you what we like to do. Let's be honest. We like to hold back some things, don't we? Well, Lord, I'll give you that, but, but you can't have this. Oh, Lord, you can, you can have this, but I want to hang on to that. You know, I really like that, that, that anger that I've been dealing with. It gives me some security. I really not like forgiving that individual because I want to inflict as much pain as I can on them. I, I, I really like that fear a little bit, or maybe I, I, I like that possession a little bit. Many years ago, many years ago, when I was a little boy, I have two brothers, Dennis, who's older, and David, that's younger, and then I have two sisters that younger than that. But my little brother, David, always went around with this pillow. And he, everywhere he went, he carried this pillow, and he'd suck on the corner of it. Now, my mom tried to keep it clean, but he'd drag it through the yard, through the dirt. I mean, the thing was filthy dirty. And he would just walk everywhere, sucking on the corner of that pillow. One day, we all went to the dump together. I don't know why, but we got in Dad's old pickup truck. I remember us being at the dump, and we're all standing in the back of the truck, throwing stuff out, and David is standing there sucking on that nasty pillow. My dad looked at that, and he was so disgusted, he grabbed that pillow, and he threw it. And that thing, like, slow motion. <laughs> and it hit the fire. Poof. And David's eyes just got big. And my dad looked at him. He said, son, you're free now. You're free. David never went back to a pillow. I don't know. Maybe at night, okay? The point is, I don't know what the point is anymore. Some of you are hanging on to some things that's nothing more than a dirty pillow. And your father's calling you to release it. And you're hanging on to it tight. And he's saying, let it go. Let it go. You're enslaved to that. Let that go. And for some of you, the reason you can't enter into the kind of worship that you desire to enter into is because you got too much junk in your life. And Jesus says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Isn't it amazing that Jesus wants what nobody else in the world wants? He wants our junk. He wants what nobody else wants. And yet we want to hang on to fear. We want to hang on to unforgiveness. We want to hang on to anger. And he's saying, no, lay that on the altar. Give every bit of that to me. Let me consume that and you will be free. And I'm convinced some of us are not able to go into deep intimacy with the Father because we just have our hands too full.
me ask you, what, what, what is the Holy Spirit pressing on you right now that you are to surrender to him? You see, we're to have the right kind of motivation, stirred by the mercies of God. We're to have the right kind of presentation. That means bringing everything to him that he may consume for his own glory. But then there's a third thing he tells us. We're to have the proper transformation. We're to have the proper transformation. In verse two, he moves into this, both a negative and a positive. And here's how he puts it. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now he gives us a negative, do not be conformed. Then he gives us a positive, be transformed. What does he mean there? Well, let me give you two reasons why our minds need to be transformed. I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly. The first reason, there's a constant pressure from the culture to conform to its values, ideas, ideals, and lifestyle. There's a constant pressure from our culture that wants to squeeze us into its mold. Every single day, every advertisement that you hear, every commercial you see, every billboard that's before you, every movie, every song, every political ideology is every bit of it trying to squeeze you into its mold. That's literally what it means. And so we're constantly under pressure like that. And we give in to pressure so easily. In 1951, Solomon Ash who was a, a, an, a, an American-Polish um, um, psychiatrist, what he did was this incredible study. It, it's still a famous study known today. He took 123 young men from a college in Pennsylvania. And here's what he was gonna do. He said, I'm gonna give you an eye exam. And before them, he had one placard with a line on it. The second one, he had another placard with three lines on it. One was the same length as this one. The other two were significantly shorter than this one. And he was going to give them an eye exam, and he wanted them to look at the two placards and pick out the one on this placard that matches the single line on this placard. But there was a catch. He met with a number of those young men before he did it. And he told them, he broke them into groups, and he told them, here's what I want you to do. As a group, I want you to purposefully pick the wrong answer for which one matches this one. You see this long line? I want you to pick the shortest answer here. All of you agree to it, except for one person in the room who had no idea what was going on. And so when the time came for the test, he had the young men in the room and they were all agreed which one they were gonna pick, which is the false one. The one that walks in the room has no idea. He's taking the test on his own. And when he holds up this sign, then he holds up the one with the three, they all pick the smallest line. And he goes one by one, sir, which one is it? The, small, the bottom line, the bottom line, the bottom line. When he got to the one man that knew nothing about it, he picked the wrong answer on purpose. 88% of the time, individuals pick the wrong answer on purpose. Whenever people did it by themselves, less than 1% picked the wrong answer. And so they asked the, the person that picked the wrong answer on purpose. They said, did you know you picked the wrong answer? Yes. Why did you do it? Because of the pressure. It felt like the majority was always right. And then this is what he said. 
that we have found the tendency to conformity in society so strong that reasonably intelligent young people are willing to call white black is a matter of concern. It raises questions about our ways of education and about the values that guide our conduct. Boy, isn't that true of our culture today? Think about all the comments and how people are buying into the lies of socialism, transgenderism, looking at all the different issues of can't even say whether a man can have a baby or not. And people buying in, why? Because of the pressure of the culture. And it is always on us. And the apostle Paul says it this way. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Let me tell you what that means real quickly. It's in the Greek structure, which literally puts it this way. Stop allowing yourself to be conformed by the values of this world. That's what it says in the Greek. Stop allowing yourself to be conformed by the values of this world. Because of the values of this world, there's a constant barrage every single day that's pressing on us. And listen, we can get upset with young people that may be buying into lies, but let me say something about older people. There was a time where older people stood on deep convictions and would say, we would never live together before marriage. Now, because of social security and death, many people who are older are living together for the sake of the security check. And they have also jettisoned because of the pressure of the culture. And the culture's always pushing in. Paul says, our minds need to be transformed because of the culture. But there's a second reason that there is a critical persistence with our fallen minds to have us walk in ignorance. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we still have a sinful nature and we still have a fallen mind. And our mind has a mind of its own. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.22. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Why? Because your mind naturally is hostile to God. Your mind naturally wants its own way. Your mind naturally wants to be in charge. And Peter writes this. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed, same word, to the passion of your former ignorance. In other words, listen, your own mind wants to work against you. Your own mind wants you to be like the lost man. I mean, let me ask you a question. Has anybody wanted to be like the old you driving down Market Street? Oh, y'all are so spiritual. Wow. I was driving down the interstate the other day, and I'm just going along, and I'm singing praise songs, and this guy just, I mean, man, he cuts right in front of me, right between me and an 18-wheeler. And, and I don't even know where it came from. I mean, he cut right in front of me. And then I just kind of did this, and then he just flipped me off. And uh, I pulled up next to him, and I was thinking, I should repay evil for evil. My mind was thinking all kinds of stuff. And when I went past him, I went. That was it. He had a New Jersey plate. What do you expect? I mean, come on. But I'm just telling you. In our minds, we have to battle that. 
So because of, because of culture and because of my own mind, I, my mind needs to be transformed. So here's the next question. How do we experience a renewed mind? I'm going to have to, I got to get on this. How, how do we experience a renewed mind? Here's what he says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let me give you two ways that Paul says we renew our mind. Number one, my mind is renewed by an internal supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot practice behavior, manif- uh, um, behavior uh, modification. I can't do that. I can't just try to change my habits and say, oh yeah, I'm going to keep practicing and I'll just tell myself this and tell myself. It doesn't work. It means there needs to be an internal change. The word transformed comes from the Greek word metamufo, which means metamorphosis. It's the picture of a butterfly. And, and, and you all know what happens. A caterpillar's crawling on the ground. He crawls up in a tree, makes a cocoon, and then something happens inside of him. He completely changes from the inside out. And when he comes out of that cocoon, he's no longer a caterpillar. He's a butterfly. You want to know something about that butterfly? Everything about the butterfly is different. The way it moves is different. The way it eats is different. Its DNA has even changed. Every single thing from the inside out. And what Paul is saying is this. Listen, the only way you can be transformed in your mind is to have a relationship with Jesus that brings about a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit who changes you from the inside out. It is an internal, supernatural work of God. There's only one other time that this word is used in the New Testament besides in the Gospels. Here's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, or being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God begins to do a work in you, the change is from inside. Your thinking changes. Your passions change. Your appetites change. The way you walk and live changes. It requires a supernatural change of the Spirit of God. I love what C.H. Spurgeon wrote. He wrote about what would it be like if you met yourself after conversion. He says, if you are renewed by grace and were to meet your old self, I'm sure you would be very anxious to get out of his company. I wouldn't like me. I wouldn't like the old me. Well, maybe some things, but but there's a lot I would not like. And I would say, wow, I have nothing in common with that young man because I've been so radically changed. Here's the second way our minds are renewed. My mind is renewed by an external revelation of God's word. God always uses his spirit and his word. And the Holy Spirit has a dual purpose. He brings conviction to us outside and he brings through the word of God and he brings conviction to us inside through his own promptings. So he's an outside, inside work. And so God never, ever does anything apart from the word of God and the spirit of God. They're always working together. Some people will come to me and say, well, the spirit told me to do this and it is contrary to the word of God. That's a false spirit. It's easy to detect. Very easy, because God will only work within the context of his very breath, which is his word. 
And people will say, what comes first? Is it the gospel or is it the work of the spirit? My answer is yes. It's both. Because he's always working outside and inside of us. Somebody wrote this. God's word will keep me from the influence of culture or culture will keep me from the influence of God's word. And it's always the word of God and the spirit of God. There is transformation. You see, what happens is we are to be stirred by the mercies of God to worship him, which in turn calls me to present my whole self to him every single day. And get this, stop letting the world influence me and allow the spirit of God to change me into the image of Jesus from one glory to the next. And that's sanctification and that's the rest of my life. So as we're moving from doctrine to devotion, it means it costs me something. And it's a complete surrender to him in all things. Here's the last thing. As we do these, we will gain a proper revelation. What is the proper revelation? Look at the end of verse two. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to tell you, I can't tell you the number of people that come to me, how do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God? And, And they're always wanting to know the will of God. And the will of God is very simple to understand. You see, when people say, I want to know the will of God, most of the time they're thinking about some big area of the Christian life. I need to know the will of God about this thing. Well, if you're not living the basic truth of the will of God for every believer, then you won't know the big stuff. You won't get there. So what is the will of God here? Let me tell you what the will of God is. The will of God is that you would be so stirred by the mercies of God that your heart would be so in tune with him. And that as you are stirred by the mercies of God, every day you surrender yourself fully to him afresh. And as you surrender to him fully afresh, you watch out for the temptations of the world to conform you. And you allow the spirit of God to change you every single day. And then by doing that, you will not only know God's will, you will be walking in the center of God's will. See, it's simple. It's real simple. And what God is calling us to at this moment is surrender. It's what it is. Let me just say this. If you're a believer this morning, I would ask you what Paul says. I appeal to you on the mercies of God that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him because that is your reasonable act of worship. And do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but allow the spirit of God to so transform you that you are being changed from glory to glory and you become a sweet aroma before the throne of God as you love him. Simple, but hard. And if we're gonna move into this deeper devotion, it means an absolute surrender of everything you have to him. What are you holding on to today? 
What dirty pillowcase is in your hand? What is God calling you to release that you would be free to worship him fully? If you're here today and you're not a believer, everything I've said is for believers. But it can be yours if you would yield your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you do, you will be forgiven of your sins. You will be counted as just and righteous. You will have a relationship with God the Father, and you will have eternity with him. But it's a surrender that is required of you, complete surrender. And when you come to faith in Christ, every single day is still a surrender that I give him myself today for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for simple verses that are filled with depth and meat. And I pray, Father, today that as I have done the best I can to share this, that your spirit would take this truth and burn it deep within our hearts. And Father, we would never be the same. Father, I pray that gone would be the days where we'd look for a new conference or, or maybe a new retreat or a new small group to make us feel that we're closer to you when all along it's right in front of us, that we're stirred by your mercies that we surrender ourselves daily and that we allow you to transform us. Father, may you have your way. Thank you for our time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is our hope for you today. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.